I'm going to read from Romans chapter 7, verses 24 through Romans chapter 8, verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the law, and we thank you for the gospel. This morning, Lord, as uh, Ryan uh, preaches your word, I pray that your spirit would inhabit this place, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of, of your word. Lord, I pray that you would, you would calm Ryan, that you would uh, lessen his voice and magnify your own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're in the second week of a series on the Ten Commandments that's not 10, but 12 weeks long because we need to get set up a little bit in what we're looking at. So last week we looked at the idea that the law is uh, actually contrary to what the culture tells us that it is, that it's really not about a ladder to climb, um, but it's about God's love being shown to us and our need to receive his love. Um, we talked about how the law uh, was never meant uh, to save anyone, that we can't save ourselves by obeying the law. Israel couldn't. That'll never happen, but it's come to show sin so that we might see Christ. And so today what I want to do is I want to spend uh, the majority of our time talking about how the law functions in a Christian's life. Um, you hear lots of theologians and teachers of the Bible and, and, and pastors and stuff like that that say lots of different things about this. Uh, and we want to, uh, to tell you kind of where we see the scriptures landing on this, because uh, if not for this, there's a whole half of your Bible that will be irrelevant to your life. And so we want to show you how Christ reigns supreme throughout the entire scripture. You know, Jesus uh, sums up the law. And when we, we talk about the law, what we're talking about uh, is this. We're talking about the moral law or the Ten Commandments. We're not talking about... Um, the ceremonial law uh, that was in place for temple worship and, and uh, the, the, the types of acceptable sacrifices because Jesus' blood has spoken a better word that's been fulfilled. We're not talking about the judicial law. Uh, the, the people of God are no longer a, a nation, uh, but rather a people that are from all nations. And so the judicial law is, has also expired. But we're talking about the moral law, the, 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 uh, the word of God found in the Ten Commandments and, and a lot of the things that Moses Wrote. And so some, uh, at one point, someone came up and asked Jesus, you know, about the law and its place. And here's what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 22. It's called the Great Commandment. You've probably heard it before. Here's what it says in Matthew 22:36. 36. 
Some teachers of the law once asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest command in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And in another reference, it says with all your strength. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. In other words, the entire Old Testament. Everything depends on that truth right there. So, in other words, love for God always leads to love for neighbor. And love for neighbor reveals love for God. This is what Jesus is saying here, and when, as, I, as I mentioned last week, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do about a vertical re- alignment and relationship with God. Uh, and, and the last six have to do with uh, love for neighbor. And so, so they can all be summed up in that way. So th- the thing that we see is that word and deed in the scriptures are always linked. It's never, hey, I love God and I'm going to live how I want to. They're always linked together. And yet, as a people, we have such a difficult time getting this. This is why Paul said, what a wretched man am I who can deliver me from this body of death. So how do we reconcile these two realities, love for God and love for neighbor? It's in the gospel through the law. That's how we do it. This is why God has given us the law and he's given us the gospel, the the work that Jesus has done to fulfill the law on our behalf. The law teaches us what is required to love God and neighbor. And the gospel gives us the power to do it, church. That's why it's so significant that we, that we get into this today. So the big idea of where we're headed today in our second installment of the series is this. The law of God is a servant of Christ. Would you say that with me? The law of God is a servant of Christ. Several years ago, um, we began noticing something interesting in one of our children's rooms. And in, our, in, in that particular child's room, I'm being very gender neutral here, you'll see, to protect my relationship with my family, because I don't want them hearing this and saying, Dad, you shouldn't have told that story, because that will happen. I've heard too many stories. Anyway, back to the story at hand. We found all of these particles of paint all over the floor upstairs where the children's bedrooms are, and, and I was thinking, man, where are these coming from? I was looking at the walls, and... Uh, then I remembered that uh, when I was a very young father, I uh, had a, a piece of furniture that I was repainting for said child's room, and I may have not taken the proper steps to painting it the correct way, and so the paint was chipping off, and this particular child just started chipping the paint off. But this kid was so smart that he cover up the dresser whenever we came into the room so we wouldn't see it, but the evidence, guys, was all over the place. It was everywhere. We couldn't get it out of the carpet. And so I, I, I confronted the said child, and, and here's what I want you to remember about this story. Uh, they looked at me, I said, why are you peeling the paint off? You've got to stop doing that. I, I'm thinking, that's good. I told them once, they're going to obey surely, right? Isn't that the way you parent? That's how it works, right? And so I come back the next day, there's still paint everywhere, more paint. And I came to the child and I said, you know, hey, what's going on? I still see the paint. And they looked at me with this kind of defeated face and said, dad, I just can't stop peeling the paint. I've been trying, I've been trying, and I'm trying, and I just keep going back to it and just peeling the paint. I can't stop. I don't know why I keep doing it. I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And I was reminded of Paul in Romans chapter 7, and it felt so familiar to me. It might not be paint for me, but it's other things maybe for you, where Paul says this, I have this desire to to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. And if there's one thing that you and I have in common in this room today, it's that. 
that the sin that we hate is the sin that we keep committing. Amen? It's what we keep running through. That's why you're at church this morning, because you know Jesus has good news for you. So the tension and the hope that I, that I hope that we wrestle with today is this. What if there was a way out? What if those feelings of guilt and shame could be handled with? What if God is leading you to the end of ourselves so that we might enjoy life with him? This is what I think Jesus has come to do. So let's flip your Bible open to Romans chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 24. And and true confession here, we're going to be all over the book of Romans today. So just keep that handy. We're going to be flipping back and forth as we look at this today. Romans 7, 24, I'll I'll reread what we just talked about. And this is Paul's struggle with sin. And he talks about the role of the law and the role of the gospel and what Jesus has come to do. And he talks about this tension in his heart that's so familiar to me, uh, to my kid that peels paint, and to you. So here's what he says. Wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who can help me from sinning? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, exclamation point, right? He's pumped. In other words, I'm so tired of myself and my flesh, but thank God Jesus has not given up on me. If there's anything you could hear today that would be helpful, that would probably be the most important thing. Jesus hasn't given up on us. He goes on to say this, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In other words, I'm a walking contradiction. Most days, believing one thing and doing another thing, I know what it says, but knowing is not sufficient. I just keep on doing that sin. He goes on to say, but here's the good news in Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's no longer a scoreboard for righteousness. It's it's now unplugged. You can't read the digits on anymore because Jesus has come and he's won. He's victorious. He's a conqueror. And so the law no longer is used for us to try to run up the score and try to get our way to God, but it's been fulfilled in Jesus. It's finished, is what Jesus says on the cross. For the law of the Spirit of life, 8-2 here, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the law now has a new function, he's saying. For God has done, not man, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And he's done this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order, church, and this is what I want you to remember right here from this passage, that the righteous requirement of the law, hear that again, the righteous requirement of the law. There's a requirement of the law. And it's on me, and it's on you, and it's on everyone on the face of the planet. There is a requirement of the law It doesn't matter how much you minimize it, how much you try to act like it's not there, that morality doesn't matter, that there's no code that we're called to live by as image bearers of God. It doesn't matter. The righteous requirement of the law has to be filled in our lives. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but but according to the Spirit. So in other words, the Spirit is what's going to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in your life, not the flesh. And this is beautiful news for us all today because the only way to live this kind of life is that Jesus might fulfill the law in us. And he's done this on his own effort and accord without any of our effort. But now his desire is that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. 
as we walk according to the Spirit. And today I want to show you three ways, this will be our outline, that the law of God serves as a servant of Jesus Christ in the world. Three ways that the law is serving the saving purposes of Jesus Christ in the world today. And to be honest with you, I'm going to take a page straight out of Martin Luther's playbook on this. So here's the quote, and this will be the outline as well. Here's what Luther said. He wrote this small catechism that was, he, he taught children um, in, his, in his church, um, and he put together a catechism that would be helpful for parents and for the church. And, and here's the question. He says, what purpose does the law then serve? This question is an age-old question, the one that we still wrestle with. And he says three things. He says this first. First, the law helps to control violent outbursts of sin and keeps order in the world. To give you a picture, it's a curb. It's a curb. Things aren't as bad as they could be. Secondly, he says this, the law accuses us and shows us our sin. Another picture here is a mirror. Thirdly, the law teaches us Christians what we should and should not do to lead a God-pleasing life, a guide. So three pictures here that I want you to remember and take these with you for the rest of your life because they'll be very helpful. The law of God is a curb, it's a mirror, and it's a guide. Let's dig into the curb here. If you've got a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 2. We're going to be in Romans 2 and 13 here. The law of God serves the purposes of Christ by bringing order to this world. It's a curb. So the law of God, think about it like this. The law of God is what every other law in this world is patterned after. Who invented law? Where did it come from? Who benefits from it? Well, everyone benefits from it. Now, it's not always redemptive, and it's not always for humanity's best interest why laws are made. It benefits some people sometimes at the expense of others. We get that. We see that in history. But law in general was given and patterned after the law of God to help humanity not be as sinful as it could be. It's, it's this idea of common grace. It's a theological term that some guys smarter than me coined, but you see it all over the Bible. And it's this idea that no matter whether you're a regenerate follower of God and you've trusted God all of your life, or whether you could, you know, give two rips about God, you benefit from His grace. Now, it's not saving grace. It's not sufficient to carry you home to Jesus. But it is sufficient to procure your life longer than it would be without it. And we see this in Romans chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says here about this idea of common grace. He says this, uh, starting in verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, so people outside of God's law at, at, at this time, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts key phrase, work of the law, written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secret, uh, secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So, so what Paul says here is this. Is he says, um, he, he doesn't say that that their hearts reveal the law of God is written on their heart. But, but what he says is, the key phrase here is that the work of the law is revealed. Meaning, they're, they're accused, they feel guilt uh, in some instances, or they, they, you know, they drive 
45 on Lawrenceville Swanee in that curvy spot instead of 65. I know it's really hard to do, okay? <laughs> you know, they, they, they obey the law, and they're not even trying to please God. He's saying that happens because the law of God has been given. And so when we think about humanity, even when I think about the two mass shootings that have happened in the last 16 hours or whatever, my heart's grieved. It, it really is. But because of God's grace, that wasn't 600 people. You see what I'm saying? That's common grace. Bad things happen. They happen all the time. But it could be worse. And I don't say that because I wasn't directly impacted by this or any other instance, but because it's a truth. Things could be worse. We say that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, it might be, but it's going slower than it would. And we see that Jesus Christ is reigning now. So they show the work of the law is written on their hearts because they do what the law requires. Now, whether it's because they don't want to be punished by the government or because they just think that's best for their lives. Sometimes people do that. They live a moral life because that seems like the best way, right? With no intention of pleasing Jesus, but just because it seems what's best for them. You also think about authority. From Romans chapter 13, it's this passage. You can read more about it yourself, but basically the scriptures teach that all authority, all government has been put in place by God. Now, we know that some of it is very mysterious on why God would place, you know, certain leaders in certain situations throughout history, but the truth remains that God puts them there. And here's what he says in Romans 13, chapter, uh, verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and he goes off to to explain most all of the neighbor commandments. The last six, he says this, you shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, covet, or any other commandment, are summed up in this one word, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's echoing what Jesus has said. Verse 10, love does, does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I just want to make two quick points about this. The first one is this, is that there's a challenge um, for us to see that every day that we live, whether you're in here and you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, every day that you live is a gift from God that you do not deserve. You don't deserve it. And, and if you're in Christ and you're enjoying the benefits of redemption, the peace that comes in your heart from knowing God, it's beautiful. And God wants to bring it more fully to your life as you walk with him and you trust him. For those of you that maybe are not Christians, you're living on borrowed time. You don't deserve another day. In fact, the scriptures say in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And not only that... Uh, that we shouldn't presume upon the Lord with our sinfulness, assuming that, you know, we're just good to go or we'll have more time. I mean, so many people that are younger that just say, you know, I'll get around to God in church later, maybe when I have kids or something. And you know what? Your heart just drifts farther and farther and farther away from God, and your heart gets harder and harder and harder. I'm not saying that God can't wake that heart up from the dead, but you just have no idea of the damage that you're doing when you live a life that is contrary to the words that God says are best for us. And so there's this invitation for you. 
according to what the scriptures say, that, that salvation's nearer to us than we first believe. That, that, um, that, that as Acts 17 says, there was this, it's, it's, he's talking, Paul is talking to um, the Athenians, and he's saying, listen, the, the times of past uh, where, where God has overlooked your sin, but now he's calling everyone in all places to repent. That common grace that you're enjoying will eventually run out. And the opportunity now is that as you see God's law and it calls you to something higher, to run to Jesus and to trust him. Another application point I just want to say for those of you that are, that for all of us in here, is, is I think that Romans 13 challenges us to see uh, the government that God has placed us under in the law, the law of the land that God has placed us under, as a gift. And obedience to that is about serving God more than it is ourselves. And, 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 and so maybe a, a, a question that you could ask yourself about this is, um, is this, how does my attitude toward the institution of government need to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? And that's a convicting question, isn't it? It's a question that I wrestle with often. How do you see the law of the land? How do you see God's common grace to us given in laws that protect us in, in, in ways that, that we're not as bad as we could be? Also, it calls us to pray, to pray for those that are enjoying God's common grace right now but need, need to be met by his saving grace, raising their life from the dead. The law of God is a curb. Secondly, it's a mirror. Let's flip, uh, flip over to Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19 here. So we see that the law not only restrains the world from being as sinful as it could be by being a curb, that there's a, a benefit there for us, but it also... Uh, calls us to look at ourselves as we're looking into a mirror, to look into our own hearts and to raise an awareness for what's going on inside of us. This is arguably the most important use of the law, I would say, and the one you see most prevalent in the scriptures. But what we see about this, this idea is that the, the whole goal is not just to show us the outward expression of the law. That's not the goal of the law. Okay, you shouldn't murder. Well, I've never killed anyone, Ryan. I haven't broken that command. You know, uh, you shouldn't commit adultery. Well, if you had lust in your heart. The whole goal of Jesus was to show us not only our hands, but our hearts through the law. And, and, and when we look at our hearts through the law, and we, we're faced with that mirror, Oftentimes we see something that we don't want to see. And for most of us, that's a very bad thing. But Romans 2, chapter, four, or chapter 2, verse 4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Last time I checked, if I were to ask you right now, who wants to experience God's kindness? All of us, right? We want God's kindness on our lives, but we don't want repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Now, Whenever we see the law and we see the mirror that it is and it shows us not only our hands but our hearts, it's an opportunity to receive more of God's kindness than we've ever received before. It's this beautiful thing that God does for us. So let's read Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 19. He says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, the whole world may be held accountable to God. Everyone's going to be held accountable. We've read that for the second time this morning. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. In other words, there's, it's another way of saying there's no other way to salvation except through Jesus. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is, Paul couldn't wait to say this. 
His, his, uh, his, he's a Pharisee. He's an expert in the law. He's writing to, to uh, a predominantly Gentile community, the Romans, and he's trying to teach them about the law of God. It's a very theological book, but also about the gospel of grace. And he's saying, listen, the law is very good because the law shows me my sin. And here's the deal. No, no exposure to the law, no revelation of sin, no need for a Savior, no need for a Savior, no experiencing the kindness of God forevermore in eternity. You see where he's going. We need to be able to see our sin. No law, no repentance. This is what he's saying. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then he goes on in verse 23 and he says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've probably heard that verse before if you've been around church. We like to throw that one out. We all know it to be true. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how good you're doing, how well the school board's looking. James says this in James 2. Listen, if you've, if you've kept the whole law and broke it at one point, it's like you broke the whole thing, he says. It's either all or it's nothing. And what we see is inevitably that some of us have, you know, broke it maybe a, a little bit and others have broken a lot and it doesn't matter. We all need the same amount of Jesus. And so this is what he says in verse 24. It's so key. Verse 23 needs to always be paired with verse 24, and verse 24 needs to always be paired with verse 23. He says this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul revels in the law as a Christian. He's like giddy. If not for the law, I wouldn't know sin. If not for sin, I wouldn't know grace. If not for grace, I wouldn't know redemption. If not for redemption, I wouldn't know God. We need the law, church. We need to see it as a mirror. The thing that we run from, this knowledge of sin, is the very thing that leads us to a deeper relationship with God. I, at times, I will uh, get into situations with maybe some of you or people that aren't here today that, you know, uh, there's need for pastoral counseling. And by the way, I talk about this often. Um, everybody needs a counselor in your back pocket, right? Sometimes that's a friend. Uh, sometimes that's a professional. Sometimes that's a pastor. But inevitably, whenever I suggest we get into a situation where, you know, there's just a little bit more thoroughness needed in a situation, and frankly, you know, I'm not qualified enough most of the time, or Brandon's not qualified enough, and we say, hey, maybe you should, you should consider seeing such and such counselor. But just to work on this, to lean in a little bit more, to experience more God's grace here, uh, inevitably people will push back and say, oh, it's just too expensive, and that's kind of... That's legitimate for some people, but for some people it's kind of the surface. The bigger thing is, is that we don't want a deeper knowledge of our sin. That's what we're running from. Because when you have to sit in the room with someone else and they help you unpack your story and your life, we just get squirmy because it's, it's like all of a sudden we realize that we're not as far along as we were, but that's the, that's the thing that's messing up our lives anyway. Because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So when we see that sin, it's an opportunity to experience more of God's grace. Let me paint a picture for you that I think will be helpful. Many of you have had diagnostic tests, medical tests performed before. You know, it could be a CAT scan, a PET scan, or uh, an MRI or something like that. Um, and, and that's exactly what they are, a diagnostic test. I remember, you know, many of you are familiar with uh, Megan's medical journey, uh, just having multiple sclerosis, and, and the primary diagnostic tool that's used is an MRI to to assess the progress of the disease um, by, by taking basically pictures, slices of the nervous system in her body. 
to be able to see what's happening. And by God's grace, um, she's been in remission for a couple years on that, which is amazing. But the, the thing that I wanted to share with you about the MRI is that the initial, the, the first time that we saw an MRI, uh, we were in a, a hospital room at Emory University, and um, and you know, we knew it was serious when the doctors asked if they could bring more doctors in, and and so we we're in there, and and they show us the MRI, and they say, you know, I, I forget the number, it was a lot, it was like I don't know, 60, 60 lesions on your brain, and. And I just remember sitting in there with Megan and being so mad at that MRI. Why do we have to see this, God? It's better not to know. And to just be angry with the truth of what you're seeing when you see the MRI is to be foolish. Because it's the MRI that has led us to treatment. Church, the law of God, when we get mad at the law, we avoid the law when we don't want to see it and see ourselves as a mirror that is looking back at us. We're denying ourselves the very possibility of greater redemption and experience of God's grace in our lives. It's not the MRI. It's not the law. It leads us to grace. We need it more and more and more in our lives. And that, that MRI, it's, it's, it's powerless to save. It only informs the law, powerless to save, it only informs. But it shows you who God is, and you wouldn't know who God is without it. And you wouldn't know what he wants to do in our lives. And we've all got this deep disease of sin running through our bones. And the only way that it doesn't end terminally for any of us is through Jesus. Listen to Romans 3, 23 and 24 again. Listen to them together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The MRI, the law and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the thing that it can never do is verse 24. The law can never do verse 24. We need Jesus. We need the gospel, law and gospel. But without knowledge of sin, there's no need for Savior. So we always need verse 23 and verse 24 working together. Now, inevitably, we will revert to the law as a scoreboard in your Christian life. You will. You maybe have done it this morning. And it's that moment where you see, hey, I'm not doing so bad this week. Things aren't as bad as they were last week. I'm not so bad. And you start living in your pride a little bit more, a little bit more in your flesh, and you're plugging the scoreboard back in when you do that. And let me give you a picture that, that will be helpful for what's going on in, in your heart when, when you do that like I do. Um, Think about the mirror in your bathroom. Maybe yours has toothpaste spray all over it like mine. Megan always yells at me for that. She doesn't yell, but you know what I mean. She's like, why does your mirror have toothpaste on it? Like toothpaste goes on it. I don't know. I uh, imagine that mirror in your bathroom. Um, uh, and, you know, that mirror, it, unless you got some kind of strange mirror, that mirror tells you the truth when you look at it, right, if it's clean enough. It tells you the truth. Using the law of God to try to make yourself righteous is, and I'm borrowing an illustration from J. Vernon McGee from about 40 years ago, is like trying to fix the imperfections on your face by rubbing your face on the mirror. Think about it. The mirror is here, and you're, you're just rubbing your face on it, hoping that that smudge goes off. I might have stuff in my face now, but that's what it's like to try to use the law of God for a different purpose than what it was intended. 
The law of God was meant to drive you to Christ, to reveal as a mirror, to show you what really exists in your life so that you'll run to Jesus, to serve it. Lastly, the law of God is a guide. So it's a curb, it's a mirror, and it's a guide. Yeah, you guys are getting it. It's great. We're going to turn to Romans 16 here. Or not Romans 16, but Romans 6. The law of God serves the purposes of Christ by showing us what a spirit-filled life looks like. So, so the law curbs sin. We're not as bad as we could be as a society. There's just kind of this general common grace that we get to experience because of the law. The law of God is a mirror for us personally. We see into the recesses of our hearts so that we can see that we need Jesus. And if you ever get to this place in your life where you're not aware of like sin in your life, it's a good time to, to dig into the, the Ten Commandments or, or uh, the Sermon on the Mount to kind of to drill down. Because those are usually evidences of those moments when we're trusting ourselves a little bit too much and not Christ enough. And lastly, it's a guide. And here's what I mean by this. This is the trickiest one. Um, it's a guide because it shows us what a righteous life looks like. Now, here's the difference. It's a guide not for your justification, but for your sanctification. Now, here's what I mean by that. It's a guide for your uh, sanctification, meaning that after you've been given a new heart and you're raised up in Jesus, you're living this resurrected life, it shows you what the life of Jesus Christ looks like. Because Jesus came, the scriptures say, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And now our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We're being filled with him, abiding in him. Where else would our lives, what else would our lives look like other than leaning more toward obedience to the law? That's all Jesus came to do was fulfill it. That's all what his whole life was about. So our lives lean a little bit more that way. Sanctification, day by day, we're not as bad as we were. We're getting better in the sense of, you know, our, our, we're aware of our sin and we're trying to follow God as best as we can, but it is not a tool for your justification. It has no bearing on that, as we've said. So as long as you see the idea of the law of God being a, a guide in that frame, you're in a good spot, but not the justification frame that I talked about. Romans 6 uh, says this, verse 15, what then are we to sin because we're not under the law by grace? Haven't you asked that question before? It's all grace. Let's just go for it. You know, as, as Luther said in another place, if you're going to sin, sin boldly, right? I mean, this is what he's arguing here because the Romans inevitably have these questions. If it's all about grace, who cares how I live? And he explains that for us. Here's what he says. By no means... <laughs> Do you, do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, you were not following God, you didn't have a regenerate heart, have become, key word right here, obedient from the heart. The difference Obedient from the heart is more than obedient from the hand, right? Obedience from the hand says, I'm good. Look, I haven't done any of this. Obedient from the heart says, I want my heart's posture to please God because I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What's that? That's the law. The standard of teaching which you were committed is the law of God. And having been set free from sin, which is what the law revealed, right? 
having now become slaves of righteousness, meaning you want to do what's right from the heart because God has filled your heart with his spirit. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Kind of a joke, I think. It's kind of funny. Um, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So Paul is saying that another type of captivity in life is what we could call licentiousness, meaning this. I've got a license to sin. I'm using it every day. He's saying, if that is the life that you choose to lead, you know that you're tiptoeing with sin. You've, you've crossed across the line. You've said things that you shouldn't say. You've, you've eaten and drank too much of what you shouldn't do. You've had relationships that are outside of the design of God. You've, you've had moral behaviors that go outside of the expanse of what God has designed you to live within. And you keep doing that, you're living a life of licentiousness. You're presuming upon the grace of God. And you're in dangerous waters, he says. Paul says, listen, you're not a slave to righteousness if you're doing that. I don't care what comes out of your mouth, because what comes out of your heart and your hand is that you're a slave to sin still. And remember, Jesus Christ came so you would no longer be slaves to sin, but be slaves to righteousness in the best way, giving all that you have and all that you are to Jesus Christ for all of your life. Not perfectly, but a commitment to it, he's saying. And Martin Luther describes this one time. He said uh, he'd, been, he'd been talking about God's gift of free grace with one of his students, and and his student was wrestling through this truth that you and I wrestle through. Who cares? Let's go for it. You know, that, that kind of an idea. And, uh, and, and basically, here's, here's what the guy said. He says, if what you're saying is true, meaning that it's all of grace, it's not of effort, it's, it's all God's work, none of my work, which is what we believe. He's saying, if what you're saying is true, his student, then we may live as we want. And Luther said this, yes. Now what do you want? Now what do you want? Who do you want to live for? What do you want to do? Because the truth is, when you see what Jesus Christ has done for you, when you see that he's given all of himself so that you could experience peace with God through the work of the Spirit in his life, in your life, and you don't want to please God with your life, then there's a lot of questions. Because it seems like you might be in slavery to sin still. But Jesus is so kind to draw us back to himself and lead us closer to his heart. So I want to just close with this question for you. Now that you know that you can live any way that you want and do anything that your heart desires to do, what do you want to do and who do you want to do it for? Whose glory do you want to be ascribed to the way that we live our lives in light of God's radical grace toward us. What do you want? Because living out the law is a great benefit to us, not because it's easy. In fact, it'll be the hardest journey you ever take. To be convicted by the Holy Spirit and no one else know what's going on, but to you to just feel miserable about your sin, to walk and try to be obedient from the heart will be the hardest journey that we ever do. Hardest thing we ever go about in our lives. But the beauty of it is this, is that God desires and he loves us so much that he wants us to reflect his character 
back to him, but also to the world, so they might know the one true God. And you, church, have the privilege and the opportunity to do that because we are filled with the Spirit. The law of God is a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the robust truths of the book of Romans. Lord, I pray that my friends in this room have been challenged by your word today the same way that I have been all week. And God, I ask, beg you, that we would see the whole counsel of your word for what it is, truth and life and breath for our souls. And so God, I pray that whatever's happened today in our hearts, that your kindness would once again lead us to repentance. It would draw out the deep waters of your grace so that we might be obedient from the heart and trust you with all that we are. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.